you have home buyer resolutions for us today? You know, here's the thing, John. I mean, we talked about mortgage interest rates being over 8% a couple of months ago. And today I checked in on it and they're now at about 6.5%. So the Federal Reserve stating that they were going to lower the federal funds rate three times this year, they did that at the end of last year, seems to have kicked the bond market into gear. And now we've got interest rates that have dropped dramatically for a a 30-year fixed rate loan, which is terrific. And so one of the things, though, that home buyers are contending with is the fact that home prices are still pretty high, even here in Chicago, where they've been moderately higher uh, compared to some other places around the country. The fact that you've got lower interest rates does not mean that you don't need to save more money than you think, because that is my number one home buyer resolution. I think home buyers, particularly first-time buyers, don't realize that lenders expect to see about three months of a cash cushion in the bank account. That's above and beyond whatever you've put down on the property and uh, whatever you've got in there for your moving expenses and things. They need three months of uh, other expenses, you know, your mortgage, your taxes, your insurance, so that they can feel like that mortgage is going to get paid for. So my number one resolution is save more than you think. You'll need it. Trust me, you'll Mm. really need it. Yeah, (laughs) no kidding. That's a good... So should we go back and forth now? You want to do a home seller resolution for us? Sure, absolutely. Um, The first resolution I would say to you is decide whether you need an agent and who you want to choose. And I've, I've long held that real estate agents are hugely helpful. Full disclosure, daughter of a real estate agent. Um, you know, these are, are great truths that when you're in a, a difficult market, agents are really, really helpful. But in a hot market, you may not need one. And for sellers, this is still a pretty hot market, even in Chicago. You may not get 42 people lining upside to bid on your property, but it's likely um, in many neighborhoods that you will get some offers within a few weeks of listing. And so you might want to decide, do you need an agent and do you need to pay the 6% or 5% or 4%? You also should give a thought to these pocket listings. A lot of agents are doing pocket listings where they list your home and then they try to sell it privately to their own buyer or inside their own agent network. I don't think pocket listings are a great idea for sellers. I think to get the maximum price, you want the maximum number of eyeballs. So lots of things to think about if you're deciding to hire an agent right now. If you think inventory is limited, if it's a hot market for you, the seller, do you think it is maybe a time for you to say, let's limit the commission? Um, you know, and there are, there was that big case that just came through that the realtors lost. We could spend some time talking about that. I wonder if limiting the commission, you know, is a good idea or not a good idea. In some cases, I think it's a good idea to negotiate. It's always a good idea to negotiate. Um, but if you get the commission too low, I worry that even with not a lot of uh, options in the market, yours won't be, uh, you know, one of the first to get shown. And of course, you want that. So it's a strategy. Mm. Uh, you got to think it through. We're talking to Elise Glink from Think Glink Media. Elise is, uh, among other things, a bit of a real estate expert in these parts. She had resolutions for home buyers and sellers. I want to talk to you about other topics, but any other resolutions you want to make sure we touch on, Elise? I want to make sure that everybody understands that when we talk about mortgage interest rates, and I tell you they're about six and a half, six and three quarter percent, that is for people who have the highest credit scores. Anything over generally 750, 760, sometimes 780, 
up to 850. You guys get the best stuff. But the average, the typical credit score right now is 700. And if that's your credit score, you're paying over 7% in interest, where higher credit scores might get you at six and a half. So my advice to you is get your credit score a little over 760, if possible, and work hard to get there. I guess it is apples to apples, though, in that if people a couple of years ago recall getting, wasn't even two years ago, uh, a 3% 30-year fixed mortgage. That was the number given to the best borrowers as well, right? It absolutely was. Uh, In fact, people with the very, very best credit scores for a while were getting um, low 3%, and some were even getting 2.5%. But, you know, people who have a higher credit score, a lower credit score would have paid a higher interest rate, generally a half a percent or or more, just depending where it was. But, you know, as far as New Year resolutions go, getting your credit score higher just means that you get lots of benefits that flow from it. So if you're carrying credit card debt, your uh, interest rate on the credit card debt will go down. If you're looking for a new car, you'll get a better offer from the dealer or wherever you get your financing. So this is the financial resolution, the home buyer resolution that actually bleeds over very nicely into the rest of your life. I've heard of food deserts. There are insurance deserts. Yeah, this is a real concern. So today in the Wall Street Journal, they've talked about something that I have been writing about and thinking about for a long time, which is what if you live in a place where you cannot get auto or homeowner's insurance or you literally pay through the nose for it? And we normally think of places like California with its wildfires and mudslides and now torrential rainstorms. Uh, And places like Florida with hurricanes, uh, you know, or anywhere on the Gulf Coast being a place that is more and more difficult to buy homeowners insurance, right? But the CEO of Allstate is saying that there will be insurance deserts all over the country, not just California, Florida, and Louisiana, but wildfires that affect areas between Salt Lake City and Denver, for example, or the Appalachian Mountains from Tennessee to New York, all of Texas. And what they're starting to find and what the story details, which was so interesting, is that companies are kind of quiet quitting certain areas of the country. We already know that most of the insurance companies in Florida have backed out of the market and refused to renew some of the insurance policies, Mm -hmm. which, by the way, your insurance policy does renew every year. So they have the right to say, nope, we're not going to renew it. But in other parts of the country, we're starting to see this as well. And even if you can get insurance... Uh, the rates are starting to double and triple. Now, what does that mean for the Midwest? Because here in Chicago, of course, we don't have hurricanes and we generally don't have wildfires, but we do have flooding. And the flood zones have been changed over the last few years. They've been expanded. And if you live in a flood zone, a new flood zone, you may not even realize it, but your insurance ticket for homeowner's insurance or even car insurance could be going up based on where you live in that flood zone. Now you can go to your local municipality and you can talk to the housing department and they'll tell you whether the village or the town or the city, wherever you live is in a new flood zone. You can also look online and you you may start to find a little bit of difficulty or that your homeowner's insurance is much more expensive. I'm thinking of the families that um, say retired, lived in Indiana, sold their house, took the equity, paid cash for a house in Florida in an area that 
could not get insurance because it's either in a hurricane zone or a fire zone. But there are people, if I'm not mistaken, who own homes and they don't have insurance. I guess you don't have to have insurance because you hold the note. It's your house. But then the home gets blown to smithereens and now they're without a house. That's the problem in Florida, right? Yeah, it's not just in Florida. We're also seeing that exact problem in California where the wildfires, you know, some people just didn't have wildfire, you know, insurance or the insurance, you know, limited the amount that they could get back from the wildfires, not enough for them to pay to rebuild the house. Now, you still in California or in Florida, you would own the land huh. underneath the property uh-huh. well, so you could sell that. But yes, that. it's it's a real problem. Um, and I don't know if that's a... Is there a government solution to that? Should the government either subsidize or force insurance companies to pay for, force insurance companies to offer an insurance policy to those people? Well, I don't think you can force an insurance company. If, if they want to do business in the state, you can require them to offer insurance to everybody. The state of Florida has its own insurance. They are, and California does too. They are insurers of last resort. Uh, not as good coverage as private insurance offer, and it's very, very expensive. So I was on the phone this morning with a homeowner in Florida. He also owns a place in Chicago. And he said over the last two years, his insurance costs have tripled. He used to pay, let's say, $2,000 for his house, and now he's paying almost, I think, seven or 8000 I guess that's almost quadruple. Um, and, and this is happening all over Florida. He doesn't even live on the ocean. He's five or seven miles inland, which is, you know, and he says, I've never even had as much of a flood with any of our, you know, hurricanes, but it doesn't really matter. People are having to pay attention to this all over the country, and climate change is really what mm-hmm. is causing and driving this. Are insurance companies losing money? Are, I thought insurance companies had been doing pretty well the last few years. Yeah, Allstate so glo- gave money back during the pandemic. <laughs> they did, uh, but global losses due to extreme weather are now running at about $150 billion a year. Global losses, $150 billion a year. Just from extreme weather. Uh, um, so. do, do, I, I don't know if you know, does that mean to the bottom line? Are you telling me that overall insurance companies are not profitable? Uh, I, there are a number of them that are not profitable. Uh, the way that insurance companies work, and not to get too technical right at the end of our segment here, but uh, there's something called reinsurance. So insurance companies basically buy insurance to help keep them solvent in the event of a big crisis. So that reinsurance, um, and there's big companies like Munich Ray, and they reinsure insurance companies all over the world. Uh, they take on part of that risk in exchange for an insurance premium. So your Allstate would have some sort of reinsurance, but that still means that Allstate's paying a huge amount out to homeowners and they're paying a huge amount to reinsure. So they may or may not be making money, uh, but the losses are huge globally and they're only going to get bigger. Hmm. Um, They sure do seem to be advertising a lot. Are they advertising less these days? They are in certain markets. So markets that are the hottest, uh, meaning that they are the worst financially uh, for insurance companies, parts of Texas, Florida, Louisiana, California, uh, they are advertising far less there. They're, that's that quiet quitting idea that uh, we've heard so much about with regard to people and their jobs. But I guess insurance companies are also employing the strategy so that people in certain markets are seeing fewer ads. They're calling less. They're not pushing people to call. And if they do call and ask for a quote, 
They're requiring all sorts of documentation that might be very, very difficult to put your hands on, like a receipt from 10 years ago or something, uh, all of which is to uh, drive down the business in areas that are less profitable to them. Mm. Well, then, judging by the commercials, I see we're not in a very dangerous zone because you can't watch TV, watching football over the weekend or whatever. I don't see a State Farm commercial or a Geico commercial. Think about how much advertising on TV is insurance companies in the Chicago market. Yeah. No, they're, they're certainly advertising here. Just be careful if you live in a flood zone because it's getting really hard, even in Chicago, to buy insurance if you live in a flood zone. Elise Glink is the owner of Think Glink Media and Best Money Moves. You can click on thinkglink.com for her services. Elise, we appreciate them here. Thanks. Thank you, John. Jim Dalkey, national editor at American Inno. Jim, how have you been? Hey, John, doing great. Thanks so much for having me. Let's uh, talk a little bit about uh, the VC business out there and how difficult it is for some companies to break through these days. Tell me the story of Portal Innovations. Yeah, you know, Portal Innovations is a venture capital firm here in Chicago. They launched in 2020, really focused on the city's biotech sector. Um, you know, Chicago, you know, for, for really for years, it's kind of lagged behind other metros for biotech, both in terms of you know, the number of startups, lab space, funding, and Portal Innovations really kind of set up to, to change that, um, not just as a venture capital arm, so not just as, as you know, giving funding, but um, also creating a you know, space for entrepreneurs to come together, lab space for innovations to get kickstarted. So they opened up some new spaces in Chicago for biotech entrepreneurs to, to kind of tinker on their businesses and build out their innovations. And they have a new um, uh, a product that just launched at the start of the year, which is really interesting. It's called Stargaze. It's an AI tool that helps um, basically identify some interesting biotech innovations uh, before others can spot them. So basically what this AI tool does is it looks at tons of data points from different grants, uh, papers, funding documents, um, basically to predict what could be a, the next hot sector within biotech and be able to place some bets on that. Um, so this is a really interesting tool, and it's not only looking for specific you know, areas of biotech-like drug development, it's also looking at geography, kind of where they look for startup investment. And so Portal Innovations is using the Stargaze tool to find other cities across the U.S. that have kind of emerging biotech. Emerging biotech whatnots and... What an interesting thing. You know, I, the point I was about to make to him, I know he's going to rejoin us here in a second, is it sounds like the businesses that you send your resume to and no human being reads it, but a machine does. It looks for certain words and phrases, and if you know how to play the game correctly, you are more likely to get your resume moved to the top. Now it sounds like there's almost an algorithm, Jim. Is that what it is? Some sort of computer program that's scanning your um, uh, well, I guess it wouldn't be your proposal per se. It's sort of like looking for what the next proposal might be, right? That's right. You know, because you know, different grants and different you know white papers are being sort of filed all the time. Um, you can go searching for this manually, but what you know, what Stargaze, what this uh, AI tool does for portal innovations is help spot that for them automatically. Um, and so, what's really interesting here is that they're also using it uh, to to launch in new cities, and so they're opening up. Uh, new branches outside of Chicago and in Boston and Houston, a couple of uh, you know known areas for biotech investment, but they're going to also open up new locations based on the Stargaze tool to help connect even more deeply with startups in different metros. And so, a really interesting use of AI. We th we think about AI 
as a tool often, you know, used at, by startups themselves. But venture capital firms, you know, are also using AI, AI to help place their bets. So is this uh, going concern? Is this up and running? Is it working? Yeah, so this is up and running. And so, you know, basically what they're able to do right now, um, you know, is to kind of dive into other cities in a way, you know, that, that, that they aren't able to without those personal relationships, right? So, you know, the guys at Portal, you know, we're telling our, our reporter, Alex Zorn, um, you know, hey, we know everybody in Chicago, right? We have all these personal relationships. We can we can kind of identify who the, the movers or shake and shakers are in the biotech scene here in Chicago. We don't necessarily know how to do that in Houston, in Miami, in Denver, Colorado, right? So they're able to kind of use this tool to identify, hey, who are some leading, um, you know, biotechnologists, right. who are some entrepreneurs in the biotech scene that are, are potentially investable? So maybe a guy in Portland gets a call from these Chicago venture capitalists and they say, hey, you don't know us, but we think you're Everybody about might. to hit. And then they make a proposal to invest in that individual or that company, huh? That's right. And, you know, and they're able to do that by kind of scanning all of these documents all automatically rather than sort of hunting for them individually and sort of one by one. So, yeah, really interesting use of AI here from Portal Innovation. Yeah, nice phone call to get. Uh, let's talk about Front Desk. Tell me about this startup. Yeah, this is a startup just north of us. So this is in Milwaukee. It's a short-term rental startup. It's, it's a bit like Airbnb. Uh, so, that, you know, think a similar model to Airbnb, but Front Desk also specializes in business travelers. So say you've got, you know, kind of a short-term stay as a, as, as a business traveler, maybe not just a week, you know, for a week, but maybe a couple weeks, right? And you don't want to just stay in the, in the Marriott, right? You want to, you know, stay in potentially, like, you know, a house like you would in an Airbnb. That's what Front Desk really does. And uh, the news came down just last week that they've laid off dozens of employees, uh, potentially the majority of their 200-person workforce. This is a Chicago tie-in here because just in June, uh, last June, they acquired a Chicago-based competitor uh, called Zincity. And, uh, you know, this is, you know, know, essentially affecting all of those employees as well. And really is indicative of, you know, just how difficult it still is for many startups uh, out there today. You know, the reason for for this wind down potentially uh, is because they were not able to raise funding. They had raised about $22 million in funding, including, you know, a recent Series B round. They're backed by one of the uh, former co-owners of the Milwaukee Bucks, Mark Lazary. So this is a company that had some funding, but just was not able to secure that next leg of funding, that next bridge round that they needed to keep going and, and really having to wind down uh, you know, much of their operations. And so uh, certainly not ideal for a fellow Midwest startup, and it certainly impacts the Chicago-based acquisition they made just last June. I don't remember the answer to this question. It seems like you've been telling us stories like this for the last few weeks. Is it that the money isn't there or is it that the money is there, but the venture capitalists just can't seem to pick a horse? They don't know where to put it. Yeah, you know, money is available, but a lot of venture capital firms are sitting on the sidelines right now. Um, and are often you know, kind of reinvesting in their best current investments. So, you know, rather than necessarily making a new investment, a lot of investors are kind of you know, putting money into their best bets already. So it's certainly possible that, you know, front desk's current investors were, were looking at their portfolio and saw, you know, the startup investments that they had and just had to make a difficult decision to say, hey, you know, we have to, you know, place our bets in on, on a different current investment. So front desk, you know, obviously on the wrong end of that, um, you know, a, a company that was at about 200 employees at the time that they made that mm-hmm. Chicago-based investment in Zen City. So um, certainly, uh, you know, a, a, a big hit there. And it appears, you know, according to our reporting that, you know, its short-term rental business is winding down. Uh, a phone call over to the company said that if you have a reservation, please seek alternative accommodations. So um, certainly not good news there for front desk. 
Talk to me about Rally Ventures. Yeah, a new fund in Chicago. So, you know, as, as we talk about, you know, funding kind of drying up, a new fund is, is, is retooling here. So Rally Ventures, based in Minneapolis, uh, it raised a, a new fund, its fifth fund, $240 million. They also hired a former uh, Google CIO, Ben Freed, there. So a uh, Midwest firm making moves, certainly good news for Chicago startups looking for funding. Um, uh, having, having a new $240 million fund in the area uh, is certainly good news there. It also comes on the heels of another Midwest fund in St. Louis, Lewis & Clark Agri-Food Fund. They raised about $70 million for a new fund that they're working on, too. So, um, hey, it's not all doom and gloom out there for Chicago startups. There's still there, in startups across the country. There's still uh, money to be had. Venture funds um, are continuing to raise, continuing to close funds. You know, how they deploy those funds and who they bet on will, will be a, certainly a trend to watch. But uh, there's definitely money out there to be had. And some good uh, news for, for these uh, startups here as new funds are closing at the beginning of the year. That's Jim Dalkey, National Editor at American Inno. These parts we click on ChicagoInno.com. Okay, Jim, stay in touch. Thanks for the help. Thanks, John. More business news on the Wintrust Business Lunch with Steve Grzanich. Start your timer. It's time for the Wintrust Business Minute, sharing Chicago's business news of the day. A Chicago-based in-home health care provider is getting a financial boost from CVS Health. The drugstore chain's investing in Wellbe Senior Medical. The amount of the deal hasn't been disclosed. Wellbe works with health plants to provide home-based medical care to patients who face multiple health challenges. The company also partners with Medicare Advantage. Wellbe helps seniors avoid unnecessary hospitalization which reduces total medical costs. It operates in seven states and has more than 107,000 Medicare Advantage members. After announcing it's skipping the Chicago Auto Show this year, Jeep and Ram owner Stellantis says it'll stay on the sidelines of the Super Bowl as well. The automaker cites economic factors in its decision. Stellantis says it's evaluating business needs to protect North American operations. The company appeared in last year's game with big-budget ads for Jeep and Ram. I'm Steve Grzanich, and that's your Wintrust Business Minute. And now we've got the business of food with Steve Alexander. Yeah, thank you. Happy Monday. And last fall, I featured this woman on the business of food. Erica Beth Levin. She's a Chicago-area mom who started a food company, Global, G-L-O-B-O-W-L, for babies and toddlers because... Food allergies and picky eating happen to be a pretty uniquely American problem. So I decided to create, you know, this line of internationally inspired food for babies to help set them up for better eating. And checking in today, how's that going? (laughs) Thank you for asking. It's going great. But Erica's here today to talk about a food-related choice, a popular one. That nearly killed her. And ended up in the hospital for days and being told that I was lucky to be alive. She will tell us about that after I thank the Chevy Silverado and ChevyDriveChicago.com for sponsoring us today. There has never been a better time to put a Silverado in your toolbox. Time was not something Erica Beth Levin had enough of. As a busy mother of two children, a wife, a CEO, and founder of a rapidly expanding food company, she was stressed. But it was all good. I love my job. I love my family. Like, I'm a very happy person. But there was one thing she wanted to change. And I decided to start Ozempic to lose the final 5, 10 pounds that almost every single woman I know tries to lose her entire life. And within the first hour... I was sweating profusely, confusion, wooziness, dizziness. She called her husband and her father. They rushed her to the ER. And uh, my blood sugar had dropped to 20, and my heart rate had dropped to 40. If I had passed out... I would have gone into a diabetic coma. A big surprise to Erica, who had expected this to be an easy hack to lose a few pounds. And that if it's done in a medical environment and under supervision, it should be fine. Ah, 
Erica did not get her Ozempic from a doctor who would have told her that taking it with the migraine medication that she was on was dangerous. A lot of people that are taking this without a prescription are obtaining it through uh, medical spas or estheticians. Erica is well known in the Chicago food community and is active on LinkedIn where she posted an essay about her ordeal. You can read it at WGNRadio.com. And she hopes that if you are tempted to take Ozempic or the like without a doctor's supervision, don't. I'm Steve Alexander. That's the business of food on 720 WGN. Here's uh, Darren Enval, who is the show manager at the Discover Boating Chicago Boat Show. Hey, Darren, welcome back to WGN. How's it going? I'm doing well, John. Thanks for having me on the air. So is this the perfect time of year to be having it? Maybe people will be uh, cold enough and anxious enough for warm weather that there you are selling boats, right? Exactly. With a nice sun coming through the windows and shining on the boats. And you might be cold outside, but you come inside in Columbus Place, it's nice, nothing but warm, warmth, and then you can look at spring with all the beautiful boats on display. It's Wednesday through Sunday, the 10th through the 14th. starts Wednesday at 2 p.m., if I'm not mistaken, and it's at McCormick Place. Uh, what are the highlights of the boat show this year? Well, obviously the boats are the star, which is always nice to see all the latest tech, uh, technology on the floor. But this year what we have is the Discover Boating Beach Club returning with some new activation. The activations we have are um, we have a, a, a mechanical wave where people are able to uh, be in a, think of a bouncy house with a, a surfboard where you're able to ride the wave. Um, we have uh, bumper boats for kids, 2 to 12, stand-up paddle boards. For people, it's a shallow pool where people can get it in and do stand-up paddleboard or kayaking. So it's just a great way to get a flavor of the water uh, in the Discover Boating Beach Club. Boy, that must be a challenge for McCormick Place. I mean, they do everything, but when it's the auto show, they just roll cars out there. You've got them putting functional water out there, huh? Functional water inside the, the convention center as well. Yeah, you're right. I mean, as bringing the boats in, you know, we started moving in on Thursday. Um, you know, we're working right now. You probably can hear everything in the background of boats being brought into the building. So we're anticipating having over 400 boats on display. You know, everything from stand-up paddleboards, uh, personal watercraft, fishing boats, pontoons, cruisers. Just a, it's just a array of uh, everything related to the marine industry. Is there a trend Record in the business ability. right now? I know that there was during the pandemic. There was a bit of a shift. What's it like right now? Um, it, it has flowed a little bit, um, so, so plateaued. Um, you know, I think everybody feels good with what they purchased during the uh, pandemic. Um, on, you know, finding what is so great about getting on the water with family um, during the pandemic. So right now, everything is, is, is okay. Um, as far as the trades, it's a family-oriented boat. So it's, a, it's a personal watercraft or pontoons, fishing boats. Uh, wake boat. So it's, it's things that, you know, where you're able to spend time on the water with family and friends. Well, I see those people zipping around on the rivers not far from where I live. Those personal watercraft zip around like a snowmobile on the water. That looks like so much fun. What's the price range on those things? Uh, very, very, very affordable. You know, you take a look at, uh, you can get into one, you know, under $7,000 with a personal watercraft. And they do get elaborate where you can either get a, one with that, that you know you could fish out of, or you can pull, pull, pull water sport, you know, water toys. 
Mm. Yeah, um, boy, a friend of mine had one of those, and he and I went out, and he was doing 60 miles an hour. And I was not going to go that fast. <laughs> it's, it, was, it was too much for me. But I guess those things are, are, are pretty quick. I presume they're as safe as they can make them, huh? They are. They're they're very safe. You know, it's it's, uh, it's a jet drive, so you know there's, there's no propeller. So it's a uh, impeller, which is you know forcing water out to uh, to move you. Mm. So it is a very very safe um, way to get on the water, and in in an inexpensive way to get on the water. Yeah, I guess so. And pontoons were probably very popular when the pandemic hit because there's some space there. It's it would have been just a way to get outdoors and do something, right? It was, you know, they're very stable, you know, the, the the nice flat bottom. That's really good for, you know, as you're looking at three generations, maybe of getting on the water. It, it's, and there's so many other things that you can do just with pontoons. So you can, you can still pull the water toys. You can still fish on it. Um, so it's, it, it, you know, it, it carries a lot of people. So it's a lot of fun. Yeah. Right. Um, what about the, the, the faster boats, the sleeker boats, describe them a little bit for me. The, the go fast boats, we, we have a few of them on display as well. Um, they're more of a niche um, uh, market for it. You know, it's more that you'd see on Lake Michigan, uh, more for going fast and, and showing off. Otherwise, you know, another one would be the wake boats. You know, wake surfing, which you're not going very fast with. Um, they're 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 still very very popular as well as uh, you know wakeboarding and uh, water skiing. Water skiing's even coming back a little bit. Yeah. Is uh, wh- what percentage of the boats are people interested in are fishing boats just out for going up and down the lake or the river and fishing? That that is the highest segment of, of boating. It, it, if you take a look at the picture throughout, it, it's a big segment of the marine industry. We, we have them on display here in McComb's place as well. We have some speeders and G3 smoker craft one um, boats, fishing boats for people to take a look at. So it starts Wednesday at 2, it goes to 8, Thursday 11 to 8, Friday 11 to 8, Saturday 10 to 8, Sunday 10 to 5. You can get your tickets, if I'm not mistaken, at chicagoboatshow.com. Just 15 bucks for adults. The kids get in for free when accompanied by a paid adult. chicagoboatshow.com. Do I got all that right? Yeah, I would say visit chicagoboatshow.com. Um, you can pre-purchase your ticket. It is thirteen dollars online. It is fifteen at the gate, so you got a two dollars savings. Give the information on parking um, around the facility, and also w- what's going on in the show. There's so many more things in there, including the antiquing classic boat. So um, I would visit that to get your ticket before you come down, and you can pre-purchase your parking um, as well. So uh, visit ChicagoBoatShow.com to find out why everybody's talking about Discover Boating. Darren Enval is the show manager. Have a great show. Have a great weekend, Darren. Thanks for your time. All right. Thank you, John.